In a world where two duck fans wanted to record a podcast about Oregon duck sports and other stuff, this, this podcast is what they came up with. I know, it's not very good, but it's the best they could do. Anyway, welcome to the flock. We lost a few games, tough. That was District 5. Now we're the ducks. Yeah. And the ducks... Yeah. Are undefeated. Oh, right. yeah. Quack. 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 Hashtag 059? 59. Yeah, 59. Yeah. 59. Uh, we're rolling in here. We are doing a little post-Thanksgiving Day podcast for you all here in the beautiful condo. We are at The Flock Pod on all your major social media platforms and most of your major podcast platforms now. We are still waiting for that beautiful Apple pop-up email saying we are approved to jump on there so uh, hopefully we'll get that soon but mm-hmm. rolling that along i am at coach justin d on those same platforms shane tell them where you are i am at shane potter six on the twitter and at walk of flock of shane six on the instagram yes he is how are you doing today bro i'm all right man i'm yeah. all right kind of a weird holiday you know with yeah. everything going on with the the zoom nature of it all we had a very um, awkward <clears throat> zoom call with aisha's family yeah yeah just great. one of the <laughs> Yeah. It's one of those things, man. It's one of those things. You know, you make the most of it. It was uh, pretty much uh, puppies and football and basketball yesterday yep. is pretty much what I was rolling with. College basketball on, uh, on Turkey Day. Turkey Day, not bad. Thank yeah, it was you, weird. Turkey gods. It really made me miss high school Thanksgiving weekend tournaments. Like mm-hmm. Those were some of my favorite tournaments. Like The Christmas tournaments were fun and like some of the, the more serious ones later on in the season. But there was just something like the, all the coaches were really happy around the Thanksgiving because it's early in the year year so you've got a little optimism <laughs> about your team still uh, and you're spending time with family and your kids are still you know not grading on you that bad so yeah it's just it was, i like the early season tournaments like that it was just fun. i always enjoyed the like the first practice back after the thanksgiving break and then like the christmas break normally christmas you get almost a week off or whatever yep. that first practice back everybody's got legs mm-hmm. coaches are in a good mood because they've been dealing with your problems for, like, <laughs> like, it's just always such a good like you can go up, you go up for that first layup, you're like, oh, I think I might be able to bouncy. yam one today. Yeah, I'm bouncy today. Let's Woo. see what I can do here. <laughs> and then the next day, you're just right back to how it was. Yeah, probably even worse. You know, <laughs> sugar and everything else. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's a great podcast today. We've got ducks and beavers kicking off here in a couple hours for the Platypus Cup. And, yes, it's called the Platypus Cup. This is not something that we are going to argue about, something that we are going to listen to your different conversations or comments about. It is the Platypus Cup. We're going to look back just slightly to that UCLA Bruin game also. And then a lot of other uh, mishaves and shenanigans to also discuss. The so, good stuff. Yeah, the good stuff. Um, as always, we are partnered with westcoastcfb.com. Make sure to go check them out for all your West Coast football needs. We will talk about one of their articles later on in the podcast. You're wrong. That's just a preview. little teaser. <laughs> little teaser. little teaser there for you westcoastcfbfootball.com fans. But, yes, um, we are definitely looking forward. And, and, in fact, let's just jump right into it, Shane. 
looking back at this UCLA Bruin football game, um, great to escape with the victory. Just mm-hmm. a weird, weird game overall. It was another one that was kind of, you know, some of the wind taken out of the sails for the matchup early on with uh, DTR, the quarterback for the UCLA Bruins, not being a participant in the game. The second time this season where an Oregon Ducks opponent has uh, lost their quarterback pretty close to kickoff. So it makes things kind of interesting on both sides of the ball. And we were kind of talking about this before we started recording. I think it gave UCLA a little bit, I don't want to say an edge, but um, was able to combat the the game plan that the Oregon defensive coordinators had kind of put into place. And you saw that, especially early on in the game with the tackling. Uh, I think that it was more, you know, of the kind of bend don't break style of defense, and we're, we weren't really ready for the heavy running attack from um, uh, Dimitri Felton, who had himself a great day. No, huge day, and that UCLA offensive line really surprised me. Also, mm-hmm. um, it's one of those situations, like you said, where sometimes when a guy goes down, a team either folds on itself, loses its confidence, or they have that ability to like lift other guys up around them and make the team better and kind of rise up and give this kid a chance. And I, that usually, to me, especially, I mean. I never played football, so this is strictly as someone watching, as a fan, as a spectator. But I notice sometimes when an offensive line likes their quarterback and it's an injury situation and a new guy's got a chance to come in and prove himself, they really step up. and They, they even really, go harder. Yes, yeah. exactly. They want to give that kid the platform to perform upon. And Chase had himself a day. Yeah. Really had himself a day. And that offensive line did a great job giving him time to hit some of those open windows. And, yeah, that UCLA running game was clicking from the very get-go. And it's it's elusive to a problem that we've seen in pretty much every Oregon football game so far this season is – our tackling is really atrocious in the first and second quarter. In some games, it gets better, but it's—I don't know if it's something going on in practice. I don't know if they have like different COVID regulations, so they're not hitting as much. But it seems like the Oregon defense is struggling with it more than other teams are. So that's where I'm kind of wondering what's going on with that Oregon side. Well, and part of it too, and I know they talked about this a lot in the NFL with the shortened training camp. There, they said that tackling was the number one thing that was affected in those first four weeks of the NFL season. That's why we saw such high scores as compared to some of the other reasons why that was happening. So you'd think that that's got to be at least part of the contributor into this. Also. Um, one part of this game too early on no nick pickett and i know as much as some people on this podcast don't appreciate his hey don't don't you put that evil on me don't you put that evil Uh, on me you're the same way (laughs) he he has proven himself to be i mean the moniker big hit nick pick is there for a reason and he does kind of bring this you know legion of boom kind of feel where you know you got the big hitting safety coming in there and like i've talked about earlier it's not good when one of your best tacklers is far away from the line of scrimmage as he is, but that is definitely a part. And he brings a lot of that veteran kind of uh, bravado. Yep. He, uh, you kind of see a little bit missing there. You did see a great game from Jordan Happel, though, who was also uh, named Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. He had 11 tackles, six of which being solo, and one interception for a touchdown, which came at the very end of the first play and ended up being the play that actually was the the, the difference maker of the game was Chase Griffin just being inexperienced, pressure coming down, no time on the clock, and just puts the ball straight up in the air, and Jordan Apple is able to bring it back about 50, 60 yards for a touchdown there. Seal the game, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's just weird. You know, it, it gave Oregon so much momentum going into halftime, also getting the ball back, and then kind of just it, – it just took away – I mean, if UCLA was able to play with a lead for longer in this game, we would have saw Dimitri Felton probably get up close to 40 carries. I mean, he finished the game with 34 carries – a career high with also a career high 167 yards 
and was able to find the touch the end zone twice. And then the two players that we talked about on last week pod, last week's podcast in the receiving core, Kyle Phillips ended up with eight catches for ninety one, and Greg Dolchich four for fifty five and a score. Gotta love Chase Coda getting those two catches also there. Good for good for Coda. Um, mm-hmm. Would have loved to have seen him in a green and yellow uniform um, as opposed to uh, the beautiful light blue that UCLA uh, was donning. But um, yeah, so interesting game here. Ducks escape. Um, we don't want to spend too much time on it. I'm sure you've heard other podcasts talk about it or looked at your articles already. We're already you know multiple days away. So let's go ahead and start looking forward now here to this Platypus Cup that kicks off in about four and a half hours. Um, here on the West Coast, um, up in Corvallis, um, what are what are some of the things you're looking forward to this in this act forward to in this game, Shane? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing is going to be um, Oregon Oregon State's running back Jamar Jefferson is going to have to be the focal point for the Oregon defense, and we're going to see a very similar uh, approach that UCLA brought last week that Oregon State is probably going to bring today. They've been feeding him a lot. He's got 62 attempts already on this young season for 449 yards. Those at home without calculators, that's 7.2 yards per carry. He scored I hear five that's times. good. Yeah, that's not bad. I hear that's pretty good, yeah. Five touchdowns on the ground, and then he has six carries for 51 yards. That is 8.5 per reception. Um, so, I mean, definitely a multi-use back, somebody that they're going to try and feed a lot and somebody that they're going to try and get in space and force a young linebacking core, or I wouldn't say young, inexperienced linebacking core at Oregon to really make some plays, especially – Probably without Noah Swells today. I haven't I, heard. I haven't heard too much, but I, mean, I imagine they'd want to be on the the cautious side of his knee. I mean, I know they was, talked about him returning to practice. Um, let's yeah, see Chris here. Paul said he looked fine in mm-hmm. practice the next day. Um, or the next practice. Latest I news I have is from four days ago. Like we've talked about, um, Oregon is locked up tighter than Fort Knox greatly when it comes to injuries. Um, I think Cristobal sees that as some kind of strategic advantage here in the Pac-12 because a lot of the other programs are a little bit looser-lipped about things. We will see. Obviously, they've got to declare him active or inactive before kickoff. Um, so we actually should be – we may get news actually while the pod's going. Probably so if something that is updated, to be how it works. Yep. If something gets updated, we'll try to throw it in there for you guys. But, yeah, not having him and then also being down Justin Flo doesn't necessarily hurt some of Oregon's top-end talent, but it's more that depth that we've talked about at length, which was one of Oregon's strengths, is now getting limited to a point where it may end up being a weakness. Oh, and uh, Ms. Toff making her voice heard here as a <laughs> producer of the podcast. Sokka looks like he's passed out, so we're good to go there. But So the Oregon State offense this season is averaging 354 yards per game, and that's 164 on the ground, which leaves 189 in the air, which is pretty average for going-rate college teams, especially at D1 level. What is interesting is they're allowing 434 yards, 227 uh, in the air, and a whopping 206.7 on the ground. Now, that's only through three games, so it is a bit of a small sample size, but it's a seven-game season, so it is pretty much half the year. Yeah, you got to bring your A game to the first game of the season for what we've got set up here. So my score prediction and what I believe is going to happen, and I hate – hate saying this i agree with matt preem 
either prem prem i think it's prem prem yeah um this game is going to be one in the trenches and i think that oregon is going to be the team that dominates those trenches and it's going to be a little bit of a runaway today i think it's going to be ducks 44 beef 17 i think that oregon's going to come out and have a little bit of that statement game on the road rivalry game day after thanksgiving i think that they're going to be fired up wearing the yellows i always feel mm-hmm. like we good we play well wearing the, the yellows caps, yes like that was always my go-to look when we were doing you know college uh, college football on the old playstation 3 mm-hmm. or ps2 there but yeah i think i think it's going to be a little bit of a runaway for the ducks and it's going to happen due to the the trenches really stepping up on both sides i think we're going to see our defensive line step up and clear some better paths for our linebackers to make plays today and on the the offensive side of the ball, I think C.J. Verdell is going to be looking to bounce back from last week. A uh, uh, pretty pedestrian game, 12 carries, 18 yards, and one score. He also had a catch for 16. He didn't look right. Uh, yeah, and it, was, it wasn't It was a game that was really going to be – the, the style of play was a lot faster. There, we needed a lot of big chunks of yards uh, in really key situations. And I think that's why we're going to look to get him involved early, especially with Oregon State allowing over 200 yards rushing a game. On the defensive side for Oregon State, uh, Avery Roberts, their linebacker, is having a stellar season so far. So you're going to see a lot of uh, him matched up with CJ, potentially one-on-one. He has 32 tackles on the season, 23 being solo, three of those being for a loss, and half a sack. And then the, the really interesting thing today, uh, potential game-breaker, is kick returner Champ Fleming's fantastic name great name love the name 14 returns for 328 yards no scores but that is 23.4 yards a clip that's pretty good that's huge that's uh pretty good and oregon's punt game has been a pretty solid so that's going to be an interesting little dichotomy there to see who wins and again special teams are special for a reason they usually do end up being the silver lining between wins and losses so it's going to be interesting to see which unit i hate using that word to describe but yeah which unit can win that battle well especially now with uh the kicking competition <laughs> being, so immature <laughs> the kicking competition being open back up after camden lewis has had the struggle it's been of the, the worst century. the worst um, even the first field goal he made was going like it was a sidewinder i've never really seen anything like it and it's really interesting because he had such a good year last year it doesn't seem like any of the mechanics are, are different I mean, you hate to see it, but it seems like something's going on in between his ears. And we hope that he can get that figured out. Or, you know, if this competition brings out a newcomer. I say just no more field goals. We just don't kick field goals. No more extra points. Just everything. Just Chip Kelly to the absolute extreme I was going to say, somewhere Chip here. Kelly's like, my spidey sense yes, is going Yeah, I think, I, think, <laughs> I think that's the move from Cristobal. I also just like that the mentality that that puts you in as a football team. Just knowing, like, hey, if we're within, you know, if we're the 35 and in and it's fourth down, we're going. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it is. We're always going for two. We're always pedal down. Is that going to uh, leave some room for some mistakes? Absolutely. But I, I love playing that aggressive style. Some mistakes like uh, Mike McCarthy made yesterday in the, the uh, second game. Yeah, I'm not talking days. about a, you know, fake reverse weird sweep thing. that garbage? I just – it was so fitting to me to watch the Washington football team absolutely pummel the wonderful Cowboys on Turkey Day. It was just (laughs) – there were so many lines, so many storylines, narratives running in my head and just some beautiful symbolism there that I just really enjoyed. I really enjoyed. 
Um, speaking of lines, <laughs> uh, the line for today's game there is the Platypus Cup. There's the degenerate. Uh, this is according to mybookie.com. Oregon is coming in at 13-point favorites, the juice on that being minus 110 on both sides. So for those out there who aren't familiar with gambling, that is you got to bet 110 to win 100. The money line for today in Oregon is minus 460. Again, you got to bet 460 to win 100 where Oregon State is plus 355, so about three and a half to one. And the under-over today, let's see, if you want to guess the under-over? 48. Ooh, no, 65. Yeah, so Vegas is predicting a lot of points on the board. The juice on that is 110 on both well, sides as well. that actually sticks with what my line is, though. 44-17 puts it right around that 62-63 number. I think I said... Third, no, forty-one twenty is my final. There you go. So you're right up there too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if Oregon State's going to be able to put points on the board. I don't know if that offensive is going to be prolific enough against the defense. If they can, if they can remain multifaceted, you know, if they can keep the offensive game going with the run and the pass, I think Oregon State has a much better chance today. But again, I think we've kind of glossed over. We've both been questioning, you know, Tyler Showtime, his ability to kind of be the leader of this offense. And he's doing a lot more than I would have anticipated. They're yeah. leaning on him a lot more. I think they're Sometimes having to. Ball. I think they're having to because the offensive line isn't as dominant as mm-hmm. they wished it would be. And yeah. I think that Cristobal is reluctantly giving Showtime, you know, more gears than he wanted to of this offense. Yeah, let's see. Last week, his final stat line is, again, just a really impressive one. 19 for 30. 334 yards, three scores. He was sacked four times, which takes a little bit away from his rushing yards here. We had 11 carries for 31 yards. I think he grossed 56 yards rushing, Yeah. but because of the sack yards, brings it back to 31 because uh, his longest run of the day was a 23-yard scamper. And then Travis Dye also had a pretty good game on the ground and in the air as well. Again, uh, 10 carries for 40 yards and then had – my opinion, the best play that we've seen from Joe Moorhead so far was that uh, it was like a fake, uh, fake QB power as Dye uh, flips up and goes mm-hmm. in the middle, and then it basically runs like a screen um, because you have a couple of the guards from the left side or the offensive line on the left side pulling out to get ahead. Yep. So a very like NCAA football 2014 type play. I really like that from Moorhead, and uh, really like the way that. Uh, Shook is getting the ball to the running backs. Yep. Coming out of the backfield especially, I think the best pass that he throws is that little like over the defender's shoulder going down the sidelines. We've seen it with Die and Verdell this season. He's a really good wheel route thrower. I really enjoyed watching Hunter Campmoyer um, oh, be heavily yeah. involved yesterday, getting that touchdown catch. That was great. Uh, Devon Williams um, has been putting in work as a blocker, so to see him really get rewarded with a lot of targets was nice also. It's interesting to watch different defensive strategies take certain players away from Oregon. Mm-hmm. I think that more teams are going to try to pack the box. I think that more teams are going to try to make Showtime really go over the top, kind of similar to what teams are doing to the Baltimore Ravens this right. year and why Lamar's struggling so much is he doesn't he doesn't quite trust himself on those deep balls, on the on those you know almost arm punts, you know where you can really get the ball to turn over and drop over the shoulder something that you know dangerous west russell wilson is incredible at up there in seattle yeah but yeah it's definitely something that showtime that's the one ball that he he does throw well without safety help mm-hmm. he, he likes being able to you know really lay it out there and let guys run underneath it he's not as great although he did fit one in a nice tight window if i remember correctly in that ucla game i can't oh, remember yeah. what show which throw it was he definitely makes the throws but you can see teams are baiting him into throwing in between the numbers and that's when they can kind of sneak 
uh, some zone, especially in there with the the safeties. They love that the old Madden play, like the plug one robber. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something I want to see improve on. And just sometimes a little bit of decision-making, but that comes with a a young quarterback. And I mean, again, again, not young, inexperienced. Mm -hmm. Um, He definitely, you know, he's, he's been around the system for a little bit now and it's a brand new offensive coordinator as well. So that does throw an extra little wrinkle. A lot of moving pieces. Yeah. I think he's comfortable back there in that pistol look. I think his footwork has gotten better with each game. He looks a little bit crisper getting to some of those handoffs and just some of those little things, you know, that really do make a big difference in the overall scheme. Um, I'm just been impressed with Oregon's ability to be flexible. And I mean, lose a guy like Micah Pittman, you know, lose. I mean, we talked about the tight end depth being one of the strengths of this team. And I think they've only had one or two guys active for each game. And you right. know, to see just different guys just step up. And that's been one of the the calling cards of this Cristobal program since he's taken over is guys taking advantage of opportunities when presented with them. There is so much talent, you know, A, B through C on this roster that it's really great to see guys get that opportunity and then perform at that level. Again, like a guy like Camp Moyer, um, like a guy like Devin Williams, um, Travis Dye kind of stepping in, didn't have as much of involvement, you know, statistically from catches and rushes perspective, but again, doing the little things, picking mm. up blitz pop blocks, you know, which Travis Dye is awesome. He's it great. Looks like he looks forward to it. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He loves, he loves being physical. Yeah. He loves and, being physical. Uh, I mean, you touched on Hunter Camp Moyer having the best game of his career at yep. Oregon with five catches, 70 yards and a score. We did see, um, DJ Johnson take a step back in that respect, but was he even active? Yeah, he played a little bit. I didn't. Yeah, I don't even remember seeing him out you there on the field. Saw him more in like the traditional Hunter Campbell role, where he the was big time there. blocker. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I mean that that's kind of to be said with the whole next man up mentality, and just speaks again to the versatility, especially like we talked about, kind of at nauseum now. This tight end group. Oh yeah. I mean, we haven't even seen old Spiderweb yet. And, you know, what can I say? Uh, Shane and I really both love tight ends. <laughs> so, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just one of those things. All right, so let's go ahead and jump forward now and uh, take a look. Um, actually, we're going to jump forward to the NFL, but we're going to look back at week 11 and talk about some uh, some pro duck coverage. And, yeah, you like that? <laughs> you're going you forward like just back a little You know, bit. I've been watching too much uh, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This whole last <laughs> season all about been timeline jumping and getting stuck in time loops, and it's it's really got my brain kind of all frazzled. So, yeah, we're going uh, backwards to look forward or forward to look backwards, however you want to think about it. But um, once again, um, without you even telling me who your choices are, I'm just going to talk about him. Justin Harbour oh, is thought. just a freak show. Yeah, his His intelligence is allowing him to slow the game down and his confidence in his big arm and in his weapons is he's just he's playing like he's playing sandlot football and it's just really really fun to watch yeah so last week here as we're on the eve of week 12 this is our week 11 products offensive side justin herbert and a 34 to 28 win versus the jets a game that was a lot closer than it should have been of no fault to justin herbert anthony lynn is speaking of somebody who needs to play madden um but herbert ended <laughs> i think the day. he uses the ask madden function <laughs> uh Herbert during the day with 37 completions on a career-high 49 pass attempts. I don't remember the last time a, a rookie has thrown 50 pass attempts. Completed 37 of them. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, 366 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He had two carries for 11 yards. Or, yeah, two carries for 11 yards. A uh, little advanced metric stuff here. He had 196 completed air yards. So out of that 366, the ball was in travel for 196 of them. Uh, 14.3% poor throw percentage, which I'm not sure exactly how they calculate it, but that is his lowest percentage of the season. 
Uh, to give it some reference, Joe Flacco in that game had a 28.3%. So if you were watching and it looked like Joe Flacco was making twice as many bad throws as Herbert. You'd he, be correct. He was. <laughs> yes, you'd be correct. I think, I mean, you can throw all the analytics, all the stats at I me. Mean, just go watch his throw to Keenan Allen. Throw that was, oh my gosh. Keenan Allen didn't you really mean to catch it? <clears throat> no, he, well, he threw it to, it was like, okay, this is my water polo brain, right? He threw it where Keenan Allen had advantage. He yeah. put it in a place that only Keenan Allen could catch it. And he did so on a full dead sprint to the left, mm-hmm. pivots his body, opens his hips beautifully. It was it was a thing of beauty. It's a play that I wish, again, it's kind of been a sentiment of us all season here, but I wish we would have seen Herbert have more of these kinds of opportunities playing here at Oregon. Well, yeah, and had he not had three different coaches and four different exactly. offensive coordinators, probably would have been in a situation where he could have opened it up a little bit more. That and, throw made me jump off the couch. And we've also seen, yeah, that had, I was at work and like I quit like giving people <laughs> change. I was like, what's going on? That play reminded me a lot of... Uh, I'm sure you've seen Little Giants, right? Oh, yeah. You know, when the receiver gets the ball yep. stuck in his face mask yep. in the end yep. zone, they're all trying to pull it out. Because he now, like, turns around and it's just like, boop, great like, It's just, like, right in his chest. And he kind of, like, looks around and laughs and, like, did, like, the little Russell Westbrook, like, rock the baby thing. Uh, but the advanced stat, getting back to it just real quick, that was most impressive for me was out of 22 first downs in the game, Justin Herbert had 18 of them throwing the ball. Well, and that's also, I mean, they have the the Balaj Barrage back there. The Balaj Mahal, as Matthew Berry loves all mm-hmm. his nicknames for him. But he's actually filling in admirably. I don't think he's right either. I think he's a little bit hurt because um, he just didn't look right there in the second half. So they're really having to rely a lot more on Herbert than they realize. Eckler maybe is going to get back Please here in a play. week or two, um, which would really add a fun dynamic to that offense, getting Austin Eckler back out there on the field. But it's it's just fun to watch. I think he's their third best receiver. Yeah, he really is. He really is. And I mean, Hunter Henry is playing better. He's, he finally looks like he's mm-hmm. getting completely healthy, but when you have Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, I mean, Kalen Balazs is, is a super freak of an athlete. just not a great football player. Right. I mean, um, they should have to Josh Kelly, who was having a good. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they trust him. I don't think they trust Josh Kelly. And that's one of the reasons why you've seen Balazs get so much Who's more heavily involved. Uh, Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson. And yeah. he's been hurt. So I don't mm-hmm. know what his situation know, is I just, there. I traded for him right before. This has been of the year of me trading for people right before they get hurt. You know, and we haven't talked a whole lot about fantasy football. Maybe we'll do that here at the end too. That's which is kind of fun. Catch up in the two leagues that we're both in. But yeah, it's been interesting to watch Herbert. I'd prefer if we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm nine and two. You know, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's been an interesting season from that perspective. So who do you have on the defensive side of the ball? So it's interesting because it's a player who did not record a stat. Uh, oh, I love week. this. But, My uh, coach brain is going so – I'm so excited right now. <laughs> and everybody's going to call me a homer for it. I don't care. It is Justin Holland, <laughs> the linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams. Of course it is. He played 46% of the snaps on defense, which his numbers are trending up as far as that is concerned. But uh, he had two fantastic plays, one where he was manned up with Gronk, where they sent Gronk on a bit of a wheel going into the end zone uh, in the red zone, where he was able to you know uh, match Gronk stride for stride going down and kind of play him out of bounds and not give him the opportunity to make uh, the catch there. And I think it was like a second and long and ended up with them getting a field goal out of the situation. And then later in the game, getting in Tom Brady's face, what didn't necessarily, it didn't register as a quarterback hit, but he got there, got his hands up, Brady sailed it, Rams pick it off and win the game, which is a huge redemption game for the Rams to beat Tom Brady and Gronk after the 2018 Super yes. Bowl. Uh, especially when you know you got guys who are on that Rams team, on the on the uh, Buccaneers team, including Nadamakin Sue, 
And uh, it was a team that, or a game that the Rams weren't really given much of an opportunity to win. Uh, three and a half to four point underdogs, depending on when you got it. And I loved it. I picked the Rams in that game, and I really, I wish I, again, I don't, uh, I just do some NFL pick em stuff. You know, I don't gamble like Shane does because I think I would enjoy it way too much. <laughs> um, but I would have loved the Rams in that game. Loved the Rams. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had the Rams in a teaser, and I had. Uh, Tom Brady's under, so I was feeling pretty good in that one. Now, forgive me here. I'm actually pulling up uh, the Rams' death chart right now, but I believe that one of your middle linebackers just got lost for the season, uh, That uh, an ACL injury. I think I saw that going oh. across the ticker. Am I um, correct there? Yes. So I think that Justin Hollins is now going to have an even bigger role mm-hmm. within that offense, playing that inside linebacker position. I'm trying to find – is it well, Kenny been, Young? It was – um, God, the team has changed so much. But I think he was the leading tackler for you guys this season, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to find... Uh, well, Hollins has been used a little bit more as like an edge rusher. Uh, they've even used him as a, a, a hand-in-the-grass guy in a couple situations. Edge rusher, yeah. So, it, but it's it's been with, with how good the Rams... Micah Kaiser. Yeah. Micah Kaiser, who led the team with 77 tackles. Yeah, suffered a knee injury. Yep. With how good, surprisingly, the, the secondary's been this year, uh, it's really been on the linebackers to step up and make the plays, and that's where the Rams have been the weakest this year. And Justin Owens has had a, a surprisingly well go of it, uh, considering you know his time with the Cowboys was so short and looked like he was going to be maybe kind of a, a practice squad type guy, but now he's really getting in there and making impacts, impacts in these games. Another former duck that we were, that I was keeping a close eye on was Troy Hill. Had a good day, six tackles, but a little bit harder with the matchups. They had him That wide on receiver Godwin. core is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, they had him on Godwin. A couple times he got to cover Scotty Miller when he got in. He spent a couple snaps on Antonio Brown. But with Jalen Ramsey on Evans, it was really – they were picking on him first yeah. in the start of the game yeah. there. But that was that's a tough situation. That's sure. a very tough matchup against yeah. any – that that Buccaneers offense is loaded. And if that O-line can keep Brady upright, they can be successful. But um, anytime you're able to get pressure – and it's just fun to watch Aaron Donald get in there and push people around. I do enjoy watching the Rams play even though I'm rooting against them most weeks. Um, but <laughs> in that now- game – First place Rams in the NFC West. Yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. It's still one game to play, baby. You know when that game is, right? Next, not this week, but when is it? Last game of the season. Oh, we're going to have to do something special for that. (laughs) I think think that they will be tied in that game. There's a pretty good chance. The 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 remaining schedule is pretty similar. Yeah, well, they both have, what, two games left against the NFC least? Uh, yeah. Because we get the Eagles this week. Uh-huh. We, look at me over here. We. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got, who we got, the Giants? No, we already played the Giants. It's they're pretty similar schedules regardless. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be fun. It's going to come down to that last game. I we, think, still have, we still have one against the Cardinals, though, so that'll be. Yeah, yeah I think one. you guys still have two against the Cardinals. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you're right, actually. I think, yeah. yeah, so that's going to be what the deciding games because mm-hmm. those Cardinals are frisky. They are frisky is a great word. They are very frisky. Um, all right, so we're going to jump forward now to our WestCoastCFB.com article of the week as I kind of teased a little bit earlier in the podcast. There is a change um, atop these rankings. We'll just kind of go over here the top three and then let the let you guys go give West Coast CFB the click to kind of give the rest of them a look. Might preview where the old uh, Beavers are just because we're playing them today. But yeah, big, big move taking Washington the number one spot. Yeah, Washington eclipsing the Ducks for number one, Oregon sliding down to number two, and just as you guessed, the University of Spoiled Children in at number three. So it'll be, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, they're giving a lot of, uh, making a lot of that UW win at Arizona, or versus Arizona. Versus Arizona, game, yeah. Where, I mean, 
Arizona probably looks like, I would say, the worst team in the Pac-12. Um, they're listed at 10th on the West Coast CFP Power Rankings. But West, but Washington really did beat them by a drum. Beat them like a drum. If yeah. if if you are number one, that is how you're supposed to perform is in a game like that, where they did everything well. Well, and that's coming off of Arizona playing really well against USC also. So I think they're kind of giving Arizona some credit there. But again, it's they went out, handled their business. They got the showtime points. You know, They were able to kind of really run them out of the building up there. Oregon struggling the way they did against a pretty poor UCLA team. Obviously, these are college kids. There's a lot of other things at play there, as we kind of talked about earlier in our recap of that game. So I think that it's a it's a it's a little bit of a clickbaity thing. It's a little bit of a you know we're going to move some things around just for the sake of moving things around, which I don't you know which got to do. Um, but I think that if you really if Oregon played Washington on a neutral field today, I think that betting line is still Oregon plus three or four, minus three or four. Yeah, excuse me, yeah. minus three. Or four. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And I do think that there is some merit to be made of what that UCLA game looked like. And it did look fairly sloppy outside of Oregon making some, basically getting some key turnovers that was going to be a UCLA win there. But I think there is some weight that you have to put into Oregon having that target on their back. To oh, yeah. They're going to get the best out of UCLA, where Washington doesn't really bring that same kind of moniker onto the game there. I mean, it is a great football team. Don't get me wrong. I'm not good. Doing, it's a good football team. I'm not going to do this whole, <laughs> you know, hate on the Huskies just for the sake of it thing. But I think there is a little bit of overreaction coming from that. But I also kind of feel like that's what power rankings are for. Exactly. You know, that's, give people something to talk about. Yeah. If, if you're not going to try and get, you know, make some, some quick whip, you know, adjustments to these things, then you're really missing the entire point of power rankings. But it is different. This does definitely give some of Husky Twitter something to pound their chest about, and I'm sure they are, and I'm sure they will. Would you say they're wagging their tails, oh, Shane? Oh, boy, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, also up on West Coast, CFB.com, they had their Week 3 awards, and I'll give you the ones that just had the uh, Oregon stuff in it. Uh, best play of Week 3 was Jordan Happel's pick 6. In my opinion, it was Verone McKinley's fumble recovery against UCLA. It was something that I was talking to you about before we were recording. Uh, for people who saw the game, it was in the first half. Balls on the ground, uh, running back fumbles. Verone McKinley and offensive lineman are basically neck and neck going for the ball. The O-lineman for UCLA maybe had a slight edge there. And uh, McKinley just the super heads-up play of just batting it forward a couple yards. And then was able to pick it up and scamper for about 35. It was one of the most... One of the smartest things I've ever seen happen on a football field in the moment to really take advantage of the situation when you know going to the ground you're going to get beat probably to the ball. And if it is a 50-50, there's no way you're going to come out of it's that It's a big man. It. <laughs> it's a big man. Um, and so best game of the week was Oregon versus UCLA. I think that was kind of a no-brainer. And team of the week on offense, we had Tyler Shook and wide receiver Devin Williams making it. And on the defensive side of the ball, Jordan Happel. Which makes sense, just due to their performance. And I do want to comment on the fact that we're being robbed of probably the best matchup in the Pac-12 this week with the USC-Colorado game being deemed a no contest due to COVID-19 breakouts in both camps, I believe. I think so, but I think Colorado was the team that couldn't field the 53-man roster is what I saw. They mentioned something about USC not having enough scholarship O-linemen. Oh, okay. And that was the actual catalyst for the no contest. It's unfortunate. I wish they would try to reschedule it, but I know that Colorado's already had some issues. So it's it's just the world that we live in right now, unfortunately. And we just continue to, uh, you know, we're kind of taking that Titus and Tate vibe of good vibes only here on the podcast. We're trying to just, you know, we're not necessarily singing past the graveyard, as one might say, because it's a really 
morose kind of statement, but um, we're trying to focus on the positives. We're trying to, you know, just talk about the things that are happening as opposed to what we're kind of losing well, out on this yeah, season. Yeah, and this is something that we talked about the whole time. <coughs> we knew this was going to happen. There and was going to be games like this. Honestly, I'm surprised at how much struggle that the Pac-12 is having because we both talked. I mean, I know that I was a little bit maybe more rosy about their prospects of getting this season in without as many issues, but it just goes to show, again, these are college kids. These are college campuses. Um, some campuses from what I'm reading are taking things a little bit more serious than others. And it's just, it's the world that we live in right now. And even if you do everything perfect, it's still, I mean, it's such a, it's such an easy virus to contract that it's, it's going to happen. It's going to, it's going to get inside whatever you, you, you just got to do everything that you can to negate whatever and just try and make sure that you're doing things safely. It's, I mean, it's one of those things that you, you can only really talk about it in its most simplistic form. Yep. Because, I mean, there's so many other bells and whistles attached to it, but it's just, you know, be safe. That's it. At the end of the day, minimize risk. You Perfect. know, at the end yeah. of the day, minimize risk. That's what we're trying to do here. So, with that, uh, wear a mask and uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Quack, quack. All right. Welcome back to the condo. Puppies are uh, chilling out just a little bit more, which is perfect. That was a great break for the uh, puppy producers. Um, we're going to jump in here and give you some uh, some round ball coverage going mm, from the, uh, the weird stuff. oblong shape. I always thought it was weird that a basketball was that orange color. I like the, the Wilsons, the, the little more brown. darker brown. Yeah, I like that color a little bit more. But anyway, that's a whole different topic. I just, I just bought a brand new basketball yeah, over did. at Costco. Nice. Yeah. Good old Costco. Good old Costco. <laughs> That must have been fun on a good old Black Friday. Okay, so um, biggest news here for the uh, both teams, unfortunately, is that both initial games had been postponed. Um, the men's side now have their first game scheduled uh, December 12th against Washington. Unsure if we're going to get another game. Hopefully we will. Maybe, you know, Northwestern will hang out and play another game here in the Pac-12 or something like that. And then on the women's side, um, we are going to get a game, it looks like, tomorrow, Saturday at 1 p.m. Game will be streamed. Is that a Oregon Live or a Go Ducks? GoDucks.com slash live. And it is, is you can find that stream. a free stream from everything that I've seen. So that's a great opportunity to uh, give the Ducks. Um, the, the, the streams are important to them. It's good for the university to see eyeballs, but also just check out this new team. I'm really excited. I'll be having that going on the big TV tomorrow. And um, the more uh, viewership they get on these streams the more it's going to be available so remember that um check in you know interact with these with the this a lot of this online stuff that's going now because they're going to use this as a barometer for how they're going to get stuff out there that isn't televised normally um so this is this is big it's something that i've honestly been waiting for them to do the last couple yes, of years absolutely it's just kind of taken this covid thing to kind of push them over and it is technology is kind of catching up in a lot of force their hand in a lot of ways so yeah even if you just have it on in the background have it on mute you know throw it up on a spare laptop or something like that um kind of like our podcast you know <laughs> just uh give it a click give us give us the click mark it's, uh, has played it's most important yeah mark has played for sure <laughs> um in a little bit of recruiting news um i am going to absolutely butcher this name um but a six foot eight canadian center uh filipina kai I think that's right. I think I, I think I said that right. Uh, but another big get for uh, Kelly Graves coming in for the 2021 class. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a what a four star recruit. I didn't see her star ranking. Um, she's Canadian. She played one year of ball in Canada. I'm already a big fan. If she's Canadian, let's go. Uh, originally from Ghana. Um, okay. Okay. So she was moved there to a prep school, and they handled a lot of her like recruitment and stuff. She picked. 
Oregon over schools like Texas and I think Baylor and a lot of big programs were up there. Um, speaking of Texas, Sedona Prince is going to be making her debut for the Oregon. Yes. Uh, Sedona Prince Free Sedona. And Aaron Bowley were named to the Pac-12 All-Conference preseason team. I'm Taylor Chavez. I'm like, what are you guys looking at over here? Like, give me some respect. Put, put some respect on my name. It. Come on interesting, now. Interesting. Sedona Prince really haven't we even seen her play NCAA basketball, but already on the pre uh, preseason conference team. So it's going to be really interesting. She's already kind of turning a lot of heads, even without even being seen. And I see a lot of Filipina Kai being kind of uh, the next wave of you know the big post for this Oregon program moving forward where we're going to get uh, Sedona for two years. Well, and this is the Kelly Graves model. He plays a lot like the, you know, the Orlando Magic did around Dwight Howard. One big, four shooters. Mm-hmm. Let's spread it out. That's the way his defense is kind of modeled also. So yeah, keeping that pipeline open. It's actually really funny if you watch Graves and Altman coach defensively, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, There's a lot of similarities. And so they kind of recruit in a similar way where they want that one big defensive staple to kind of hold things down at the rim and they want a lot of speed and athleticism around it. So it's going to be fun to watch. I'm excited to watch uh, Ms. Sabali or excuse me, Ms. Satu get out there and play again. No, Miss Sabli. Sabli, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, right sorry, yeah, Miss Sabli. Uh, <laughs> that was Naira Sabli, somebody that you know is highly touted. A lot of people said was going to be a better player than Satu, but we haven't been able to see her just because of back-to-back mm-hmm. knee injuries in two seasons. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I watched a, some tape on Filipina. She is extremely raw. Um, it doesn't look like she's played a ton of basketball growing up, but has a nice little lefty jump shot. And can dunk. Love that. So that's Love cool. Love that. Yeah. And anytime, I mean, six foot eight, she's still probably growing into her body. Uh, she's still trying to figure out some of the and she's more an kinesthetic things. Yeah. So that'll be really fun to watch. And anybody, I don't think, have we, we've never had an Oregon Duck player dunk. I don't think so, no. No, not that I can think not of. Not even really on the men's side of the ball too much. <laughs> well, I mean, Freddie Jones is looking <laughs> yeah, at you cross side right now. Well, we haven't had a ton of like, you know. Above the rim players like CJ Walker was poised to be kind of that. And Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell, yeah. And, Kenny Wooten. And uh, uh, Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks yammed on a yeah. few people, but not as much as you would have liked to see. But yeah, Jordan Bell is probably the most the guy that played above the rim the most in the last couple of years for the Ducks. That's actually an interesting question. Right. Um, also, though, going into this 2021 class, another big get was Taylor Bigby. Uh, it was a five foot ten guard slash forward who is a five-star and I watched one of her games on YouTube. Uh, she's good. She's a good ball handler for her size. Definitely plays that kind of wing swing position. It's interesting because she's uh, she's lefty, but shoots free throws right-handed. Um, yeah, and finishes through contact with both hands. But I thought that was really interesting. Her jump shot is left-handed, but her free throw is right-handed. That's very, and I wonder if that's something that the Oregon Ducks coaching staff will tinker with, or if they'll just kind of let it be. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But I don't know if I've ever heard, I mean, Ben Simmons, everybody can constantly, you know, Kevin O'Connor, especially from the ringer, talks about how he's shooting with the wrong hand consistently. But that's, I can only aid your finishing ability at the rim to have both hands to be that um, prolific. That's what I'm saying. There's there's <clears throat> weird, like, ambidextrousness things that you hear about a lot, like people, like golfers. My dad like, would rock lefty and righty clubs in his bag. So it yeah. depends on the shot. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, some people, like, I played high school basketball with somebody who wrote, did everything, like, school-wise with a left hand, and then basketball, everything was the right hand. So 
It's some. It's interesting because thing. I think a lot of kids get coached to do things right-handed when they're young. Mm-hmm. My dad was the opposite. My grandpa, because he was a big baseball fan, forced my dad to hit lefty baseball from like a very, very young age, and so I just kind of put it in his brain that he could be able to do both, which is a good thing, I think. But maybe Grandpa Arnie's tactics might not have been the best. <laughs> interesting, bold strategy. Yeah, Cotton. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I think it can be very beneficial just from an athletic standpoint to have both of your brains, both sides of your brain. To be developed in an athletic way but then both of these players just watching you know their skill sets what they do and you know how they're going to be able to develop it's interesting because like kelly graves is finding these like blank canvas kind of like athletes where both of them are they have all this all these intangibles there but it really just needs it looks like they both need to be put in a direction and i think the University of Oregon is the perfect program for both of these young women. Shown to be able to – whoa, wow, that was loud. That was the first yeah. one of the pods. Today, <laughs> good, uh, good flossing this morning. Um, it's shown to uh, be a good development program. I mm-hmm. mean, look even look look at Sabrina. You know, when she came in as a freshman, she was obviously incredibly talented, but every year added something to that skill set bag of hers that she had available to mm-hmm. her. So I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be really fun to watch. Um, these two young women develop in this Oregon coaching system. We uh, prefaced it just a little bit. We kind of hinted at a few names here earlier, Jordan Bell among them, but we are going to jump into a little bit of NBA free agency just as it does relate to the Oregon Ducks program. Um, It does look like Jordan Bell was traded to the Lakers. Um, Looks like he's going to be waived, though, is what I'm hearing. Um, And then he may be a guy that might have to look overseas. I'm not hearing a lot of interest um, in the NBA circles that I've been listening listening to or you know looking at on Twitter and it's unfortunate due to some injuries that he sustained but also his just inability to develop that offensive game like we were really hoping he would right. um, from a shooting perspective and from a passing perspective I think that's something that's really yeah. been lacking he'll play hard on the defensive side of the ball he's going to take risks I'd love to see the Blazers just take a take a long shot on him and try to bring him in on a minimum. But I think they're going to try to keep that roster spot open for some midseason flexibility, which I think is smart in the long run for the Blazers. And Jordan Bell, it's unfortunate. It just seems like the NBA just trended a certain way as soon as he got in it, where guys his size, they want to be Bam Adebayo. Yep. And he's far from it. He's just not there. He's just not there. He's a guy that's going to work. So I think you could see him go overseas and develop and add some things to his tool belt. Or he might just decide to do some different things. I don't know. But maybe the G League. <clears throat> we, as always, will wish him the best here from the flock pod. One guy who has developed nicely and who's going to step into a uh, maybe a starting role um, for the Toronto Raptors is the big booch himself, the giant kombucha, Chris Boucher. Yeah, the swatter boy. Um, it's good to see him get a two, I believe it was a two-year deal. Two-year deal, yeah. Uh, nice little money package there on the end of it also. But the opportunity is what I'm most excited about for yeah, him. Yeah, on a team that's kind of in a weird like rebuild two years after winning a championship. But... He, you know, he put on the weight, his body developed. It seems like he's done everything going from being that G League MVP slash defensive player of the year into uh, a role position. And then we kind of saw his role within the team grow, even going into the playoffs, which is rare. You normally see a player in his position kind of trend back the other way towards the end of the bench where in Toronto, they're like, no, we need, we need this. And I mean, he's big, long, plays defense, runs to the runs from rim to rim. So mm-hmm. Those three things right now are at probably like an all-time premium in the NBA. Well, and it's just a beautiful story. I mean, this kid was 27. He's 27 years old now. He went undrafted. You know, which right. is just crazy to think back. If you look back at that draft, we were very high on well, him, at least coming getting, off the ACL. Coming off the ACL, but both of us were to, like, give him a bowl-bowl type deal, you know, take him late in the second round. Raptors took a shot on him, like you said, G League MVP. 
Um, now being 27 years old, he is signing the richest contract in NBA history for a Canadian who went undrafted. Mm. So that's kind of a fun story with Fred Van Vliet also being brought in, being an undrafted and given the largest contract in NBA history. Um, the deal for Chris Boucher, two years, $13.5 million. Um, they're really hanging their hat on him being probably their starting center, if not um, a big-time rotation rotation piece. Because they also got Aaron Bynes, right? Aaron Baines. Baines. So you may have actually seen them try to play him together mm-hmm. also because Baines is a little bit undersized also. I think 6'10", 6'9", same, right. Right, right, that but same height like, as Boucher. But he's got some girth to him, you yeah. know what I mean? He can kind of man the paint. But they can both stretch the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm loving, I mean, again, I've been very open about the Raptors being my side team. I'm really excited to see what they can do. I think they're going to try to move Kyle Lowry's contract eventually. Probably. But um, even the team they have right now is still a fun squad around Pascal Siakam. So great to hear. Uh, Boucher has been one of my favorite stories in the NBA over the past couple of years. So that's just fantastic. Um, another good story here for the Oregon Duck program is Mr. Kenny Wooten going to get another shot here signing with the Houston Rockets. Yeah, and I didn't see if he's on a two-way deal the way he was similar to New York. Um, and I think that New York situation with him being moved from that team has way less to do with Mr. Wooten than it does the direction or the... I'll say the lack of direction with the Knicks franchise. So this is interesting. He got a two-year, $6.9 million contract that is a team option when the second year, but it's not a two-way deal oh, wow. from cool. what I can tell. Well, he's another guy that kind of did – he did the right things in the G League. He went in, leaned in hard. Because, I mean, there's two ways to really, like, improve. There's you lean into the things that you're already good at or you try and expand your game and become more of a multi-tool player. I think Kenny Wooten was really smart into knowing that his role is going to be most important as being a – you know, a defensive-minded ball stopper, rim protector. And he really leaned in hard to that, averaging over two and a half blocks in the G League for the uh, Winchester Knicks, I believe. I was watching a ton of G League basketball as it was last year. Um, kind of glad that we missed out on that. Um, but, yeah, it, I think it's a big opportunity. I think going to Houston, where a team that now has boogie. Forgive me, it is a two-way deal is for Kenny Wooten. Yep. And he was claimed off waivers. Uh, but I think... The, oh, okay. Is that it? All yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I was thinking he was in that trade. Uh, but no. n- nonetheless, I still think that the what he did in the G League made a big enough impact for teams to at least give him a shot. And I think he has a little bit more of a uh, good understanding of the way the offense needs to be played a little bit more than a Jordan Bell. And he's a little bit younger and has, again, just that undeniable defensive energy that kind of brings, you know, like that anchor feel to your team. And he's going to be an interesting player because he's going to be involved in more of that two-way flexibility that the NBA is offering this year, which we'll get to a little bit more later on. I'm talking about Aaron Brooks' new position with the New York Knicks. But yeah, this will be interesting because he's got 42 days of service coming from Bobby Marks here. 24 days from now until um, March 28th, and then 18 days after that. So he's in this like really weird kind of window where it'll be curious to see how much the Rockets really do try to utilize him. I mean, they've got guys like Christian Wood already on that roster. Um, Wooten does fit in and kind of that small ball, fly around, you know, um, block a lot of shots, be able to do some switching on the perimeter type of center that the Rockets have been looking for. But uh, like you said, I don't know what the Rockets, I mean, that team could look completely different two weeks from now. Well, Right, I think Russell Westbrook's gonna get traded, but that all that being said, I do also feel like with a new GM, new team president, they might be trying to get away from that all offense small ball kind of mentality. We'll see, yeah, and Kenny <clears throat> could help kind of change 
the uh, the identity of that team, or at least be a piece in there that that with of the their development. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if Kenny Wooten's going to be changing the face of any franchises per well, se. Well, right, but... <laughs> being like you know part part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Let's see him keep his head out of trouble for a season, and then mm-hmm. we'll go from there. Uh, one more little good piece of news was yeah. uh, Bull Bull joins the Nuggets full time roster. He's no longer on a two way deal that we saw him on last time, and I think that's kind of a no brainer with the way that he's been developing. Well, and with the way that the Nuggets shaped their roster mm-hmm. they let a guy like jeremy grant go you know they well they didn't let him go per se they well, didn't want to pay him detroit money yeah but i mean it was actually the same contract yeah no yeah. it was the exact same that's what's so interesting about that whole deal is it was the same money same contract he just wanted a bigger role yeah so that's weird also i mean, I mean was it four years 60 million yeah it's i mean it's a lot of money but they matched it they were willing to do that but now the Nuggets Smart put move not doing it. Well, I think so too. But I think the Nuggets now put themselves in a much better position, not only from <laughs> Zuko just fell off the couch, um, <laughs> not only from that perspective, but to give those young guys now a true chance to develop. I mean, Michael Porter and Bull Bull kind of have the runways in front of them now clear, mm-hmm. and you know whether they can develop into the players that they were initially thought of in that draft class is you know remain to be seen. But if they can. My goodness, the Nuggets could be really, really good for the next two or three years. Definitely the most interesting team in the West right now, I'd say. Ooh, that's uh, from a youth perspective. From a youth yeah. development perspective, I would have to agree with you, just because of the the and getting RJ Hampton. I mean, all right. the different the Nuggets just draft so well, and I hate that they're so close to the Blazers. And I like the, what the Blazers did. We can talk about that a little bit here at the end, but we've got a few more duck focused things here to talk about. Um, the next of which um, we were shocked here on our live draft coverage to have seen this pick. But uh, Peyton Pritchard getting settled in out there in Boston, um, getting the stamp of approval from a lot of uh, Celtic greats and the Celtic media. Everybody's really high on this pick. You know, they they love guys that have high motors that are really, really smart, you know, just, you know, do all the right things, kind of play like a coach's kid. You know, that just floats right up that Celtic fan base, my former fan base. Um, So it'll be fun to see what Peyton's role will be with this team long term is if he's going to be given a chance to outplay Romeo Langford. Is he going to be given a real shot at that backup point guard position? But um, nonetheless, a fun journey for Mr. Pritchard. Yeah, and I think I think he can, like I talked about a little bit during the draft, he can bring some uh, sustainability. He's like, you know, a good decision-making guard that if he can come in and kind of just continue on what he did at Oregon, kind of take away the, you know, the bulk scoring aspect of it and just being kind of a floor general type mm-hmm. player, um, I think there's a lot of room for him to play in this in the NBA. I don't know. Um Uh, I don't know if that is exactly what the Celtics were thinking about when they drafted him, but also, you know, there is the whole Danny Ainge aspect of, you know, drafting a point guard from Eugene. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, I'm going to save my uh, Danny Ainge comments, Um, (laughs) but I think it's a, it's an interesting pick based upon what was available. Um, based upon just the Celtics overall kind of draft strategy the last couple years and taking some of these other guards that haven't developed. Um, Carson Edwards, you know, mm-hmm. he's he now just a G League guy. You know, I feel right. like Peyton yeah. Pritchard is just kind of a little bit better version of what he does. Even like, uh, was it Wanamaker? Brad Wanamaker, they let him go. Yeah. You know, like, I don't remember where he signed. Um, was it the Warriors? Uh, 
want to say he signed with the Warriors, but I don't remember. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that Celtics depth backcourt uh, develops. Um, but nonetheless, um, a really good opportunity for Pritchard, especially being taken in the first round. He's probably going to spend the predominant amount of the season with the big club. I wouldn't see him getting sent down to the G League. No, unless they have like a very interesting idea of what he's going to turn out to be. But especially with a player who played four years of college basketball, that opportunity to go develop in the G League, especially physically, isn't as much there as it is with other players. Um, which again was why I was surprised that he went in the first round, just because of his age. Yeah, it's you know it's kind of like you. I hate to compare it to like an orphanage, but you know the older ones have a harder time getting picked. Well, and these are the guys that Danny Ainge loves. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's taken these types of players um, the past couple seasons, guys that you know other people don't really see the the shine that he does. You know, even Jalen Brown, I was very against that pick. I thought it was a terrible pick, and he's I, really yeah. proven out to be. I mean, even us watching him here in the Pac-12, it was just didn't seem like it was going to be. I was kind of the same thing. I'm like, they think he's going to be what? And then it was like, oh, no, he okay, he is. When he got to a program where he was motivated, it turns out that uh, Cal wasn't that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just remember that tournament game for him where he just looked all like James Harden out of sorts, where mm-hmm. it was just hard to watch. But yeah, nonetheless, great opportunity. And speaking of a great opportunity, uh, Mr. Aaron Brooks, the guy that whose jersey I was donning during the NBA draft live podcast getting a great chance to join the new york knicks coaching staff as a shane you put the g league liaison two-way liaison two-way liaison so tell us a little bit more about what that actually is so from what i understand he's going to be spending some time with both teams but more as an assistant coach with the g league affiliate of the winchester knicks and i believe with the new york knicks organization we were kind of speculating that it's going to be more of the uh off-court stuff that he's going to be helping with is their association with that team, you know, transitioning, how you spend your time, how the way your time is going to be split, um, travel, living arrangements, getting to stuff on time, all of that good stuff. But this is a huge opportunity. I mean, uh, they say that he learned a lot playing under Tom Thibodeau in his time in the NBA and kind of taking some of those coaching philosophies and moving those down. Let's hope not all of them. (laughs) But, I mean, at least as far as defensively, because we know what Aaron Brooks can bring to the floor offensively. But, you know, having a good defensive mindset already. I don't think I'd really consider him a great defensive player, although he did get a lot of steals. He was good. He had quick hands. Um, He was good at positioning himself. And as he got older, he was very crafty would be the word that I would use. He was very opportunistic in Mm -hmm. the way that he played defense. But he wasn't really like, I'm going to go out and lock down your point guard kind of guy. No, most certainly not. But... Um, point guards usually make great coaches. Mm-hmm. He had a long NBA career, a much longer NBA career than I think a lot of people would have guessed when he first went into the NBA. Um, so good for him. Good for him to make this move. Hopefully it transitions um, into him getting more and more opportunities within the New York Knicks um, organization. And uh, we will definitely be following close to see uh, how things kind of work out. Uh, let's just do a little bit of Blazer stuff here at the very end. Wait, one second. Oh, yeah, one uh, more thing for us. Yeah, Nike dropped four different colorways. Uh, Oregon colorways of the Kyrie Seven. Oh, the Kyrie. Ah, because it's a new. They're probably Every, a new the issue. kid. The kids love Kyrie. I just yeah. Can't they do seem it. great to play in. Doesn't yeah. really seem like a good walk around shoe, but the four different um, colorways. So look for those on the court this season. They kind of have one for every uniform that Oregon is going to wear, and probably see it on men's and women's side of the ball. And I imagine we'll see the also the KDs rolled out there. They usually do an Oregon colorway for those, right. and the that, Kobe's too. I think the, uh, the KD twelves they did three Oregon colorways for, and we saw a ton of those. We still actually see yeah. some of those colorways out there. 
So I think this was kind of the same thing they were thinking with this Kyrie. It was like, let's do multiple. Let's get a pair for each jersey so they're not switching shoes. One, it's good for the kids, too, because, it, I mean, every athlete is a little bit different. You know, each shoe plays a little bit differently. So not everybody wants to play in the Kyrie. Maybe they want the traditional Kobe. Maybe they want the Kate. So it's just it's great. That, I mean, again, having Uncle Phil, having the connection to Nike is just an absolute uh, plethora of riches. And uh, the Oregon Ducks um, lockers will certainly be full of many different PEs as the season moves if you want to see those there on the flock twitter page check it out check it out for sure um so yeah let's end here a little bit with just some blazer coverage um the blazers have kind of been the darling of uh, nba free agency coverage i've even heard a few people talking about how they could be number two or three in the west next year i heard a bold prediction of them even being a possible finals contender next year I'm not that in love with this roster and in love with what Neil O'Shea did, but I'm starting to fall in love with it. Be, I mean, just picking up the wing depth that they did. Um, I know you were really high on them getting Derek Jones Jr., a guy who hasn't, who's had some opportunity in the league, but hasn't really been given that big time chance to really show what he can do. Really struggled to get on the court last year for the Miami Heat. Bringing in Rocco, I think, is a huge addition just to lock up defensively. I'm curious how they're going to start games. You know, are they going to have Rocco and Rodney Hood in the starting lineup, or are they going to go a little bit bigger? I just think it allows the Blazers to play so many different styles that they can really match up better with the the the, the bigs in the West, but also play that athletic smaller ball if they have to. Yeah, the return of Anus Kander <laughs> was a surprise, but it's one that I think that he's more valuable on this team than he is on almost any other team, just with his ability in the pick and roll and then what he brings on the offensive glass. He's a great, he's a good passer. Yeah. He definitely um, struggles defensively to say the least, but oh, he's a good sure. passer. I mean, he's going to be used in, you know, one very specific role and it's the, it's the super duper high pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And he's probably one of the five best players in the league at just doing Being that, that role, man, just because he can catch it. And then he can pass off no dribbles, one dribble. He can attack with either hand going to the front of the hoop. I mean, he's kind of just a watered down Yusuf Nurkic in that one specific play. Mm-hmm. And I, I always try and, because every time I say this, people are like, you say Ennis Kanter was as good as Yusuf Nurkic. No, it's not what I'm saying. In the high pick and roll, I think he is almost as good as Yusuf Nurkic. And I don't think he's a top five center. Top five center for doing that. That one specific um, skill. Derek Jones Jr., I really like the human hummingbird, as I like to call him. I'm, I think he has hollow bones like hummingbirds do. And that's why he, just, <laughs> he flies. Well, I don't know like he flies. He just like <laughs> levitates. It's so weird. Maybe um, he's an airbender. Yeah, it's crazy. I think he can bring a lot defensively. And just having a swing guy who's a good athlete is something that the Portland team really missed last year. I think something that's underrated about this Portland Trailblazer roster right now. And this is something that maybe, I mean, I'll just ask you, who do you think is the oldest guy on this roster? Carmelo Anthony. Correct. Uh, <laughs> dang it. I thought that was going to be a little bit more of a challenge. But yeah, I mean, Mello and then Cantor are the only guys that have nine plus years of experience mm-hmm. in the NBA. You brought in, you've got Gary Trent, who's a second year guy. You've got, you know, Nasir Little. You've got um, well, Zach Collins. Third year guy. Yeah, going yeah. into his third year. Sorry. You've got Harry Giles, who's a young guy. Rodney Hood's 22. still a young guy. Yeah. Rocco is only going into his eighth year in the NBA. So they got a little bit younger to try to hopefully develop some of these guys to not only be, um, you know, good for this season, but to maybe give them a chance at retaining some of these guys for a future, you know, to support Dame and CJ as they get older. And I think the kid, the kid who's they this 
free agency put the most pressure on his soldiers' (laughs) shoulders is Anthony Simons because they've really put him in a position now, and similar to last year. It's like, hey, you're going to get the keys to be our backup point guard. Can you develop and be that guy from a decision-making perspective, not just a shooting perspective? Well, what is he, like almost 21 years old? Yeah, almost 20. He'll be a third-year pro next year. So, I mean, that's really interesting, especially just how young he was in the draft. The thing that I have kind of been keeping an eye on. He'll be 22 next year. Oh, really? He's already 21? Uh Okay. Um, But that I really want to keep an eye on next year is now with the addition of Harry Giles and Ennis Kanter at center and then bringing in Rocco to be your, like, you know, stretch four, Zach Collins now has – he was asked to do a lot. Now he's being asked to do a very singular thing. Mm -hmm. Can he do it? I mean, will he make the the leap? Well, and that's why I brought up how they're going to start because they have so much flexibility now in that starting lineup. I mean, they could go Dame, CJ, Hood, Rocco, Nurkic. They can go Dame, CJ, Rocco, Collins, Nurkic. They can they can really do a lot of different things. I mean, that's even keeping Melo out of that starting lineup. I could even see them starting a few games with Dame, CJ, Gary, Trent, Rocco, and Collins. Yeah, they can completely match up against who they play. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. can really match up stylistically, and I think that was one problem. I mean, when we... Watching Hassan Whiteside and Nurkic play together last year in the bubble is just a memory that I'll never, ever, ever be able to delete. So this just gives us so much more flexibility. And again, it puts pressure on those guys that the Blazers have already put a lot of pressure on Zach Collins and Anthony Simons to be the key development pieces for this roster. Mm. And it's really cool. This is the first time pretty much since like 2001 that Portland's really gone all in on winning a championship. Yeah, selling those or not selling but trading those two possible future round ah for man I cannot talk here in the second <laughs> half of this podcast, but those two first rounders is a big deal. Absolutely it's not something that the Blazers have been traditionally willing to do. Um bringing a guy like Rodney Hood back coming off their Achilles, I mean is definitely That's a risk, but it could pay off. Well, it's a guy who's had injury history already before too, but they've also been the team working on on him they're going to know more about his medical history than anybody probably than the utah jazz mm-hmm. who've had him beforehand so it's just it's a fascinating deal where you're yeah you're putting a lot of trust yeah but i think i liked all the moves especially getting harry giles i think why it's a why sneaky not? move like, yeah bring him back why not? bring him back 22 years old he's mm-hmm. basically he's a little bit older than anthony simons which is insane because mm-hmm. it feels like harry giles has been a part of my life for a long time <laughs> yeah. now uh and he's one of those guys that people talked about in high school being one of the best players like literally ever he was the number one recruit for his class for a long long time and then went to duke and he had definitely injury struggles mm-hmm. never really was able to do what he wanted to do but if spent you talk some time to with like, the kings i mean it's been a rough career if you talk to like some of the recruiters and people who played with him in high school it's it's weird he's not thought of as like the best player of the class they're like no he's like one of the best players to ever play generational basketball. yeah so, generational type talent so there's still <laughs> a ton of upside there and i mean what's what's the risk yeah it's a he minimum doesn't play yeah it's a minimum i mean maybe you just keep him on the roster maybe he's able to learn from guys like well, hopefully not learn everything from Cantor focus more on Nurkic but yeah I think just it gives learn him a ch- Turkish from Cantor <laughs> just that I think it does give, <laughs> it's a great opportunity for him where there's not a lot of pressure on him because they already have so many other bigs I think that's about it uh, love that we got in some blazer talk uh, free agency was just super fun this year so great to just the whirlwind of speed and the Woj bombs were just coming left and right yeah, so Woj and Shams just drinking yeah. rock stars and monster energy drinks absolutely those guys just don't sleep it's so impressive uh-huh. you know Shefty does the same thing for the NFL but yeah shout out to those guys that keep us fed with information that's during these interesting I, times I don't want 
Yeah, I, part like, of hey, me thinks I'd want it, but yeah. I don't think I could do it. They'd be like, hey, Justin, you're responsible to tweet 72 times today. Well, he pays somebody to do that. Well, yeah. You know he's true. got but, somebody. But I mean, you still uh, got to be so like on it. Oh, and if you don't break the news, then it's like literally worthless. Yeah. When it's all connections. It's all people business. So that's that's the element of it that I'd be attracted to that would be fun. To be the oh, guy yeah. that knows things before and everybody oh, else no. because you're in the know. I mean, you're the other franchise, Could right? Can you imagine if you were getting to sit down and have like a totally off-the-record conversation with Woj and just Ugh. the things that would have almost happened tasty. in NBA history? So oh, tasty. Oh, God. So tasty. All right. So thank you, everybody that made it to this far. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Peace. I gave my love a cherry that had no stone. I gave my love a chicken that had no Sorry.
Shout a little bit louder now. 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 Shout a little bit louder now.